After his long-term partner left him, David Bramwell set himself a life-changing task to be a more sharing, loving person. As a man with a taste for the exotic, however, this was never going to be resolved by a weekend course in mindfulness. Instead, David embarked on a global adventure in search of utopia. Could it be, he wondered, that those living outside of society in alternative communities had found a better way to live? And if so, why did so many of them insist on wearing tie-dye? To find out, join us on the number nine bus to Utopia, an auditorium six-part special. Episode one, Loser's Paradise. It's three days before Christmas and I'm performing in a comedy show in my hometown of Brighton. 15 minutes before the opening night, I'm getting ready backstage when my phone rings. Oh, hi, Alex. Hey, how are you doing? You're still in Italy? I'm not in Italy. I never was going to Italy. I'm on the Isle of Man for work. You never listen. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's important we talk. And I need you to listen, please. Hey, guess what I'm dressed as? What? Guess what I'm dressed as? I have to talk to you. I'm a Viking. I've got horns. Well, my helmet has got horns. And We need to talk. Well, we're always talking. Yeah, about your projects. I want to talk about us. Oh, God, this is about the relationship again, isn't it? Look, Alex, I'm about to go on stage. I'm not going to feel funny after a heavy conversation about the relationship, am I? I need to go. David, I need to know you... Bye. She left me shortly after. I was heartbroken. We'd been together nearly eight years. Only a fortnight after the bombshell, I'd already been replaced with someone she described as younger but more mature, called Dougal a name which partially softened the blow. Never again would I warm myself around her naked frame in bed, see her familiar old leather coat hanging by the door, or hear the reassuring rattle of her hair grips being sucked up by Henry the Hoover. She was a kooky Italian who'd whisked me away on surprise weekends to Europe and cooked exquisite Mediterranean dishes every night. And bought you clothes. Yeah, that's true. And uh, paid the bills and picked up nice things for the house on the way home from work. Yeah, I know. That's, I, and sorted out the mortgage and did the decorating and always arranged dinner parties actually, for Actually, that's not true. You Don't you, interrupt. And bought all the food and fed the cat and even wore leather trousers most days because you got a thing for leather. Alex, people are listening. And please. what did you do in return? In return... I locked myself away in the spare room with my piano and wrote some really nice songs about what a lovely girlfriend she was. Okay, so she was right to leave. I'd been far too wrapped up in myself and my projects, my band, my podcast, my one-man shows, my spoken word night, my radio documentaries. Did I mention I'm on SoundCloud? David, not everyone's as interested in you as you are. I've got a new book out as well. But the familiar portrayal of a talented, dashing, rapier-witted, but totally self-absorbed urbanite is only half the story. I was also, as one friend put it, a seeker. Dissatisfaction with conventional life had led me to dabble in occultism and naturism. I'd visited S&M clubs, drunk South American hallucinogens, and endured a 10-day silent meditation retreat in Wales, in which I openly wept at the beauty of a banana. And, coming to the conclusion that the news was toxic, I'd even thrown out the telly, cancelled the papers, and taken a holiday from the media. But despite such grand gestures, I'd lost the love of my life. Alex had gone. Two realistic options lay before me. Sink into depression and cry like a baby, or enrol for teacher training and cry like a baby. But neither of these were exactly, you know, my style. Plus, you'd already given them a try after your last relationship failed, hadn't you? Thanks, Alex. 
What I needed was a sea change, an adventure. I needed to escape Brighton and its painful memories. I needed to sublimate my heartache by turning it into a project. So I chose the ultimate project, to seek out my own utopia. Fascinated by counterculture and alternative lifestyles, I'd researched a whole slew of communities across the globe, places where people had come together to find new ways to live outside of society. But I wasn't going to do the obvious thing of going to India to find myself. I'd avoid New Age clichés. I live in Brighton, after all, a town where it's easier to find someone to cleanse your chakras than unblock your sink. And besides, I'd done more than my fair share of New Age courses over the years. So, David, don't be nervous, but I'm just going to shake this over your head like this. Now, responding to the sacred shamanic drum with your heart chakra, would you like to share with the group seven spirit animals which were just gifted to you? Seven? Hmm. Um... Uh, cat, Good. dog, nice. goldfish, um, hamster, budgie. Yeah. Have I said goldfish? Oh, yeah. uh, uh, scampi. Oh. Instead, I decided I would seek inspiration from anarchists, libertarians, visionaries, people who could beat that self-centered city boy attitude out of me and show me new ways to live. I wanted to understand what it was about me that couldn't make a relationship work. I knew I wasn't alone. I'd seen countless friends crash and burn in marriages and long-term relationships. And when the news of Alex and I splitting up reached our friends, one couple I knew were horrified. But David, you and Alex seem perfect together. Yeah, we put all our hopes in you. I mean, you've been together eight years. Yeah, I mean, David, how could you let us down? Twat. <laughs> Twat. They split up shortly afterwards, as if to make a point. Increasingly in the West, we seem to be living on our own. But is it simply a lifestyle choice? Many of us have relative freedom and material comfort. I mean, have you seen those really cool remote control cars that are operated by your phone? And yet still, few people seem truly happy. Is it us, our culture, or our cities that aren't working? Was a more fulfilling life to be found in alternative communities? I would make it my mission to find out. I took a year out of my teaching job, cashed in my savings, cancelled my Pilates class, left a few extra bowls of food for the cat, and headed out into the unknown. My first port of call was Denmark. According to recent surveys, Denmark is the happiest country in the world, which is a little surprising for a country best known for its dark, depressing TV dramas. In fact, according to cultural critic Troy Fabergé, The very occluded, imperious fibre of the Danish metal feels bound up, synergised, if you will, in the disconsolate, saturnine work of Ibsen's Dollhouse and Sveistrup's The Killing. And Lars von Trier's films are hardly a barrel of laughs either. I mean, have you seen Antichrist? She cuts her bloody flaps off with a pair of scissors. Right, yeah, thanks, Troy. And what about Borgen, the bridge? They are fucking depressing. Exactly, that's my point. And Girl so, with a dragon tattoo? Uh, that was Swedish, Troy. Can I get on with the story, please? We've only just left England. Sorry, one last thing. Uh, if Denmark was positioned psychically oriented, as it were, as the happiest country in the world, where did Britain come, meta-relativistically? We came 41st, sandwiched between Poland and Kazakhstan. All result. Yeah, I must admit, this makes me oddly proud too, which just goes to prove what a self-defeating bunch the Brits really are. But look, what had actually drawn me to Denmark wasn't some spurious statistic about happiness. In the centre of Copenhagen lies an anarchist community, Christiania, a self-styled loser's paradise. In 1969, squatters had found the derelict land, then 
created a hippie magazine emblazoned with the clarion call Catch the number nine bus to Utopia 85 acres of disused army barracks and waterways were squatted and turned into a huge commune. For nearly 50 years, Christiania has survived on just three rules. One, no hard drugs. Two, no violence. Three, uh, um... Yeah, and the third? Well, the third is a bit vague, but if you do stuff that pisses people off, we have to have a big meeting. There are a lot of big meetings in Christiania. Okay, so that's the downside of anarchy. But I relish the idea of a place that had found ways to live outside of the conventions of normal society. This community sounded too good to be true. Entering Christiania was a shock to the system. One minute I was walking down a quiet suburban street, then suddenly I plunged through an entrance in a wall and emerged into what felt like a vast 24-hour festival. Dirt roads snaked around the old graffiti-scrawled army barracks. A banner hung across one. Sports centre. Join the club. You'll never smoke alone. Nearby, a giant aircraft hangar was stacked high with recycled materials. Christiania's version of Ikea. Walking on, I was confronted with a jumble of stalls, wooden shacks and kiosks selling tie-dye t-shirts, juggling balls and Native American dream catchers. A young girl in rainbow-coloured dungarees was painting a yin-yang symbol on the side of a vegan shoe stall. All these good vibes were starting to make me feel anxious. In the dirt track opposite the stalls was a tumble-down hut called the Woodstock Bar. Its only occupants were a gang of men so horrifically drunk that they stumbled around like the crew of the USS Enterprise under fire. Christiania was an inebriated hippie nightmare. I'd made a mistake. I was about to walk out of the community when a woman ran towards me, waving. David! It is David, no? Yeah, hi. Helen? Through a website called Couchsurfing, I've been in touch with a lady from Christiania called Helen, with a slender frame, piercing blue eyes and a lilting French accent. Helen had lived in Christiania for 20 years and offered to show me round. She clocked my disdain at the tie-dye and the drunks and dragged me away with a big smile. Come, I will show you the real beauty of Christiania. We entered the outskirts of the commune. These were no ordinary suburbs. There were no street names or house numbers, but an array of extraordinary buildings, many of them in idyllic waterside locations. Tree houses, houses made entirely of windows, houses with trees growing through the middle of them, hobbit houses, munchkin Tudor. How different to the UK's sober architecture of design by committee, where our prisons, supermarkets and schools all appear to be made from the same template. Freed from the suffocating restrictions of planning permissions, safety and rudimentary plumbing, Christiania's residents had built a community of playful and often beautiful architecture. And now, David, you must let me take you home and show you my bare wall. I could hardly contain my excitement. As we reached Helen's house, she proudly led me into the living room. Here it is. It's a nice wall, Helen, but it's not really bare, is it? I mean, it's cornflower yellow. It's got paintings hanging on it. No, no, look. Some of the scratch marks are still here. It took a long time to get the house in order once the bear moved out. There was so much shit on the floor it took forever to clean up. S sorry, are you saying a real bear once lived here? Oh yes. The bear was called Ricky. You could always recognise her in Christiania. She wore a little tie. Helen made it sound as if great gangs of bears ambled through Christiania on a daily basis and the only way to identify Ricky the bear was through her natty attire. Ricky used to hang around with the musicians in Christiania. 
Oh, but you know what musicians can be like. They like to drink. She became an alcoholic bear. You know the kind. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, my least favourite kind of bear. One day she got in a fight over a bottle of wine with the man who owned this house and put him in hospital. I mean, technically it was not Ricky's bottle to drink, but she could get so violent sometimes. We knew we had to get rid of her after this, so we tried the zoo. She looked nice in her tie, but she failed the interview. She was too drunk. Well, at least she was appropriately dressed. And then we heard of a spare flat in Copenhagen she could go to. A uh, spare flat? Well, she had to live somewhere. Uh, but when the taxi came... A taxi? She couldn't walk there. It was miles away. She was so fat, of course. It took four of us to squeeze her through the door and into the back seat. We waved her goodbye, and I've never seen her since. There are no street or road names in Christiania, except one. Look on any official map of Copenhagen and you'll find it. Pusher Street. I'll leave you to figure out how it got its name. But despite Christiania being a magnet for the lost souls, misfits and addicts, I was impressed how organised it seemed. Proof that hippie anarchists, when left to their own devices, won't attempt to overthrow the ruling elite, but will instead settle down to make tofu, run vegan restaurants, get stoned and set up kundalini yoga classes. A bit like Brighton, come to think of it. After a few days, Helen introduced me to a friend, Emmerich, who was planning to build a new kitchen in his house. In Christiania, he had no need to call in the professionals. Instead, Emmerich's friends and neighbours rallied round to help. I offered to help too. However, after handing me a box of plumbing tools, Emmerich soon realised I knew as much about plumbing as the average nine-year-old. Shaking his head, he gave me a box of carpentry tools instead. What do they teach you in England, David? You'll be telling me next you don't know how to build a cupboard. <laughs> um, well, I could write you a song about building a cupboard. Jeez. Emmerich finally found a job I could do, pulling up and clearing away floorboards, together with his son Oscar, who wasn't an average nine-year-old, owing to the fact that he had a lime green mullet. Yeah, fuck the system. Chomsky for president. I want some halloumi! After a hard day's work, Emmerich would take us all down to Christiania's hot tubs and steam room, where the proprietor blasted us with Mozart every night. These were my happiest times there, loafing around in the warm, healing waters. The hot tubs I discovered were where some of the real decision-making took place in Christiania, not the Friday night meeting, when 400 anarchists sat in a giant circle and found they couldn't agree about anything. So, at our previous meeting last Friday, Eric proposed we change the day of our meeting to Sunday, but it was a split vote. Annika suggested we vote again, but that anyone who has not attended the meeting for more than four weeks be not allowed to vote until they attend three or more meetings in a row. Yeah, but this met with much opposition and regrettably a window was broken by Herman, who was drunk. Again. Christopher has asked that Herman not be allowed to attend meetings until he stops drinking, but Henrik thought it was not Herman's place to say this, as Herman has also been really stoned at meetings sometimes. And so this is what we will be discussing at today's meeting. Meanwhile, the old-timers hung out in the hot tubs, reminiscing about Christiania's glory days in the 70s, when the residents used to stage great political stunts. My favourite story was the Father Christmas Wars. Back in 74, we became concerned about how commercial Christmas was becoming, and no one was looking after the poor, so we built a giant goose. Giant goose? Yeah, yeah, and we created an army of 300 chanters. 
We marched into Copenhagen's two biggest department stores and began to help ourselves to the goods. We put food, toys in our sacks and took them outside to give to the poor and needy. The shop staff couldn't do anything. There were just too many Santas. By the time the police were called, we'd emptied half the stores. <laughs> Did you get away with it? No, no, we were heavily fined. The police beat us up. Many were in prison. But we had the last laugh. In 2004, a film, The Father Christmas Wars, was voted one of the ten most important Danish works of art of the 20th century. Must be an excellent film. Yeah, yeah, it's okay, but I prefer Borgen. I've always suspected the Danes have spent way too much time perfecting pastries and not enough time making art. I'd come to realise that many of Copenhagen's residents viewed Christiania as they would a dent on a new car, or they simply dismissed it as a relic of the 60s, a hippie museum. It's true, it did feel like a separate world, an edgy wonderland of mischief and self-sufficiency, somewhere open to all. Unfortunately, however, by the time I arrived at Christiania, there was no room at the inn, so I'd ended up cycling back to the centre of Copenhagen each evening to spend my nights in a two-star hotel. And in those dark hours when my insomnia would flare up, I'd sit by the window looking out across at the other apartments. And one night, I swear, I saw a bear in a tie swigging a bottle of wine and watching Denmark's Got Talent. Actually, I felt more like James Stewart in Rear Window. Whiskey and cigarette in hand, I'd stare into the lives of the other night owls, alone in their solitary apartments. Over time, I gave them all names. There was Lady Couch Potato, Text Addict, and for goodness sake, put some trousers on. Not once did I see them leave their rooms, knock on a neighbor's door, or call in for a drink and a chat. How different from Christiania, where residents wandered in and out of each other's houses day and night. Compared with Christiania, the rest of Copenhagen's population seemed like caged animals. This loser's paradise may have attracted such undesirables as junkies, dealers and amateur folk musicians, but it had started out as a place where anyone could build what they liked and live how they pleased. Her residents wandered around in open-toed sandals and didn't give a fig about celebrity culture and status. They looked after each other. They staged mini-festivals and took to the streets to protest against the injustices of the world. But things were changing. The government had clearly decided to play hardball with the squatters, and, as I heard one night in the Woodstock bar, the inhabitants were far from happy about this. Yeah, David, so now Christiani is the training ground for those new to the police force, which means they're allowed to get shitty with us because they're young and stupid. They come here to arrest anyone with even just a fucking joint. Yeah, sounds, sounds I mean, like we, it. I mean, we, we film everything in case the bastards put the boot in, but now they're starting arresting the fucking cameraman and fucking authorities, man. Oh, uh, hang on. So sorry, uh, I better just answer this. Yeah, yeah, you go, you go. Hello? It's Alex. Where are you? Can you talk? Oh, hi. Hang on a sec. I just need to move outside. Where are you? Sounds like you're in a bar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm in Christiania. The, the anarchist place in Denmark I was telling you about. Oh, you'd love it here. I met this woman who used to have a bear, an actual bear in her house. In fact, the houses are fantastic. Uh, and I've been with this guy, Emmerich. I, I've been helping him rebuild his house. Oh, sounds lovely. I'm glad you're having a nice time. Alex, I still miss you. Are you missing me? Look... I wanted to tell you that Dougal proposed to me yesterday, and I said yes. I thought I ought to let you know. 
In the back of my mind, I'd been telling myself that maybe it wasn't truly over between Alex and I, that maybe she'd forgive me, or I'd forgive her. To be honest, by this stage, I'd sort of lost track of who needed to do the forgiving. But secretly, I had been hoping there was still a chance we could get back together. That despite my quest, or maybe because of it, and how it would make me a better person, Alex and I could reunite and spend the rest of our lives together. But now she'd accepted a proposal of marriage from a man called Dougal, I started to have vague doubts. I stood there and looked around at Christiania. I'd come to think of the community as the fool to Copenhagen the king, but she'd never be my ideal home. There's only so much rainbow knitwear, batik artwork and yin-yang t-shirts a man can endure. I was heartbroken and friendless, in the happiest place in the world. I knew it was time to move on. Taxi! Oh, hang on, there's a bear in that one. The Number 9 Bus to Utopia was written by David Bramwell with additional material by Dave Mountfield. It starred David Bramwell as himself with Emma Kilby, Graham Duff and Dave Mountfield in a plethora of small but essential roles. Script editor was Graham Duff. It was produced by David Bramwell and Andrew Mailing, and is a special six-part series for the Auditorium Podcast funded by the Arts Council England. Music is by Oddfellows Casino. The book, The Number 9 Bus to Utopia, is available to buy on Amazon and is even funnier and more philosophical than the podcast. Yeah, I know, it's hard to believe. The Auditorium is also a best-selling book full of fascinating stories about pioneers, outsider artists, adventurers and counterculture heroes. It's published by Hodder and Stoughton and is available from Amazon and all good bookshops. <laughs>